Good evening. Um, Aubrey, thanks for the invitation to preach the word. And for this awesome little table. As a, as a campus minister, I, um, I have the opportunity to talk with students a lot. They're 18 to 22 years old. Hardly this audience. So as I was trying to figure out um, what to say, but how to say what I was going to say tonight, is a challenge. Um, generally speaking, speaking to 18 to 22-year-olds, I'm allowed to be a little bit R-rated. Uh, not in terms of bad language or other things. Um, and I feel like tonight I need to bring it down to PG or PG-13. And uh, so I'm going to try and do that. I hope I don't create any awkward conversations for the car ride home. Um, fair warning. With that said, let me, uh, let me share a story with you guys. So about, I guess it was two weeks ago, a little over two weeks ago now, I had just gotten back from spring break, a spring break trip to the Dominican Republic, and I was going to take two days off, Monday and Tuesday. It's Tuesday. I'm sitting in my house just relaxing and reading, and the phone rings. It's not a phone number I have a name for, and so I just let it ring, and it goes to voicemail. And as soon as it, the voicemail thing comes on, I decide, well, I'll listen to this voicemail. I listen to it, and it's a student. It's a student who I had known, a casual relationship, had you know dinner conversation with him once or twice before, and the message was really urgent. And it was, CJ, can we meet? I really need to talk to somebody now. Like, uh, my day off. Um, <laughs> but you never know. You never know what's going on. It, this could just be drama exploding, or it could be suicide. Uh, so I was like, I, I better call him back. So I called him right back. And quickly discerned that he wasn't suicidal and that this could probably wait till tomorrow. And I said, hey, Brian, love to meet with you. Um, can we meet tomorrow at noon? Yeah, I think that's fine. So next day at noon, I'm a little bit nervous because I have no idea what this guy wants to talk about. Um, and, and while I, I love meeting with students and, and feel capable to talk with them about issues in their lives, a student that I don't know very well and I don't know what he wants to talk about has me nervous. He's coming over to my house because I wasn't going on campus that day. So I was like, just come over to my house. He comes into my office. He's got to be nervous. Um, and so he comes into my office and he sits down in this, this, this leather chair in the corner. And this guy is about six foot three, really good looking guy, sandy, blonde hair, buzz cut. And he sits down on this leather reading chair that has an ottoman in front of it and kind of pulls his legs up on it and is sitting almost curled up on the chair. Um, and I was like, wow, okay, this is a lot of, lot of strong body language. And so I don't even know how to make small talk at this point. So I'm just like, <clears throat> so Brian, what's going on? And for over 30 minutes, he talks, and I'm just sitting there listening. And he's sharing about his relationship with his girlfriend that he's had for the past five years. And they had just broken up in December. And... But they had struggled to remain pure, but they hadn't, you know, gone all the way in their relationship. And there's kind of this refrain throughout his sharing that <clears throat> we had struggled to stay pure, but we hadn't gone all the way. And I'm like, okay, well, why are you here? You sounded really urgent when you called and left this message and we talked yesterday. It sounded like there's something urgent going on in your life. I didn't say that to him. I was just letting him process. And finally, 30 minutes in, he's, he's like, 
so the other night, Sunday, I was getting ready to come back from, from spring break, and one of the girls asked if she could get a ride home back to school with me, and, and so he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a ride home. And so I decided to stop by my mom's uh, lake cabin, because I have the key at Lake Anna, and we went there, and we just, we just got drunk. I was gone. Uh, I was not even aware of what I was doing. And long story short, and to make it PG, um, he had gone where he had never gone before and uh, was shocked at himself. Uh, His sense of rightness was bound up in not having gone all the way. And now that this barrier had been broken, he was just totally unsure of who he was. His whole, his whole sense of worth was, was gone, but he wasn't crying. This wasn't remorse. This wasn't a sense of shame. This wasn't guilt. It was utter confusion as to who he actually was. And so as he's sitting there and he's, uh, what I discern is trying to make a confession, but has no sense of up or down or right or wrong, or even it's just totally distraught. I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to say to this. And I felt the Lord put it on my heart. And I I said to him, I said, Brian, I don't mean to be rude in telling you this. And I'm not trying to rub salt in the wound. But the guy who had sex with that girl at the cabin, that man was you. And that man is the man Jesus loves. And I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen or could see the Holy Spirit enter somebody. But at that moment, the entire language of his body was just released. And there was a sense of tranquility or peace that he had begun to believe that his sin was so great and forgiveness so real that, that all the fog and the haze just lifted. It was a holy moment. And those don't happen very often. Uh, in, in our lives, in, in my experience, even in campus ministry, these are rare occurrences. And so this was, has been lingering very deep in my conscience for the past weeks as, as I've reflected on what, what the heck just happened. Um, I, I don't know if he became a believer in that moment. I, I don't know fully what happened, but... He accepted his acceptance. And as I've been trying to figure this out for myself, I started to realize that that word wasn't just for Brian, it was for me. Uh, in fact, last night, if, if I'm to be honest with you guys, I didn't want to come to the service last night. Um, the whole reason I came is because I know I was going to be speaking tonight, and I better know what happened the night before. And... The reason I didn't want to come to the service was because feet were being washed. And I hate feet washing. I'll wash all your feet all day long. That's not a problem. I do not like my feet being washed. And so I very, like like normal, very comfortably came and sat down in my seat right there. And no students were here. And so there was no one sitting around me. And so I was like, all right, God, well, I came, and you love me, so no one's going to wash me. This is perfect. This is good. No one's next to me. God, you love me. So 
good. This is great. And we're singing the song. People are washing each other's feet. And I'm, I don't know if I'm reasoning or if I'm praying as this was going on last night. Sometimes I don't know if I'm praying or reasoning. I don't know if you guys are like that. But I was talking to myself, and it was before God. So, and I'm like, God, why do we wash feet? This just doesn't make sense to me. Is that a real service, God? I mean, let's be honest. Does anyone here really need their feet washed? I mean, if you want to do something service for me, I got some bathrooms that need to be cleaned. Like, someone go, you know, scrub my toilet. And so I'm saying this to God as I'm singing that song. And I don't know if it was God or my own mind, but it was truth. And the word I heard was, yeah, but your toilet didn't sin against me. (laughs) And it was about that moment that Kyle walks across (laughs) and says, can I wash your feet? And I was like, dang it. (laughs) Because my self-righteousness doesn't want someone else to do something for me. I want to be right on my terms. Brian wants to be right on his terms. I want my righteousness to stand forth as my worth and dignity and have somebody bend down before me and do something for me that I can very clearly do myself, like wash my feet, is humiliating. It's humbling for me. And I think for, for many of us, we distance ourselves. I do it. We distance ourselves from our sin. And we establish a sense of our self-worth and our self-rightness before God so that the cross just seems like, like a nice morality tale and feet washing seems like an object lesson. But the reality of the cross is the gravity of our sin that is bore out there. And when Jesus is on the cross, he cries out in anguish, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken us. Why have you abandoned? Why have you alienated? Why have you left me alone in this place? I think we've all, at some level, experienced the human sense of alienation or abandonment. When I was a little kid, going shopping with mom in the big, huge clothing racks. I loved going up kind of into the clothing racks and hiding there. And just kind of, it was like my own little fort in the middle of shopping. It was wonderful. And one time, I vividly remember coming out of that and my mom was gone. In panic and dread, just like set in to my heart. And I was, I was just lost. I had no sense of where I was. I was looking around at every face. And I was terrified. A small sense of forsakenness. But as we get older, forsakenness gets a little heavier, doesn't it? Boyfriend, girlfriend says... I don't think I want to be with you anymore. That panic and dread sets in. It's like, what am I? Who am I? Where am I supposed to go? Who am I supposed to be? I've lost my bearings. Forsakenness of a wife or a husband coming and saying, I don't think I want to be with you anymore. The panic, the confusion, who am I? Who am I supposed to be? Child, forsaken by a parent. We don't want you. The worthlessness, the panic, the dread, the confusion that sets in. The forsakenness that Jesus experiences on the cross 
is not the forsakenness of men leaving him. The sting of the disciples leaving was so small. The forsakenness Jesus experiences on the cross is that, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That God forsook Jesus on the cross. Not a man, but God himself alienated Jesus, left him alone. And maybe, again, some of us have this small sense of understanding of what it means to feel the darkness come into our lives and over us. We're like, God, where are you in this moment? I feel distant from you. I feel like the, the, this kind of shadow has come over my life, and I don't know how to hear from you or connect, from you, connect to you, and I'm just going through this dead routine. God, where are you? But the fact is that the distinct cruelty of the cross wasn't that God forsook a man on the cross, one of us, but that God forsook a God-man on the cross, that God forsook himself on the cross, that for all eternity, God has dwelt in perfect unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one with each other, perfect wholeness, perfect oneness, perfect joy, perfect freedom to enjoy who they are in full relationship one with the other, that the Father reveals and revels in the glory of the Son, and the Son and Father together reveal and revel in the glory of the Spirit, and the Spirit shines forth unto the glory of the Father and Son for all eternity and eternity past shalom and peace has been all the Trinity has known. And the forsakenness of Christ on the cross is that God breaks fellowship with himself. That God turns his back on himself. That God the Father alienates the Son. But it's worse than that. It isn't a cold, passive alienation. It is the red-hot presence of the wrath of God poured out on the Son. It isn't just we aren't together. It isn't just we're not near each other. It isn't time out. It is the full weight and justice of God. Wrath, anger, fury of the ages built up within God, judiciously and exactly poured out on the Son. In Romans 3.25, says that God presented Him, Jesus Christ. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement or as the one who would turn aside wrath in order to demonstrate, and I don't know Greek a whole lot, but I do know that the Greek word for demonstrate is where we get our English word index, an index finger, that God would point to his justice, that God did this to point to his justice because in the past, in his forbearance, he had left the sins beforehand unpunished. 
And so all the sin of all of humanity, not just your sin and my sin, the sin of all humanity past, the anger of God towards that sin is poured out on Jesus Christ at the cross. And so under the alienating weight of the wrath of God, Jesus cries out to his Father looking for some sense of consolation. He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the first time in the existence of the Trinity, there's no response. It's just silence. What Jesus experienced as the justice and the wrath of God, we can receive as the grace and love of God. That while God demonstrates His justice on the cross, God also, Romans 5.8, demonstrates, points to His own love for us in this. That while we're still sinners, I say that part again, while we were still sinners, still sinners, while we were sinners, while we were sleeping with the girl, while we were lying to our spouse, while we were fill in the blank, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God is that he is willing to break fellowship with himself in order to bring us back in. That the punishment that is due us, he is willing to bear the weight of that. In fact, truth be told, not a single one of us would be able to bear up under the weight of God's wrath. Even for a single one of our sins. Our sin, as small as you might consider it to be a a small white lie, has eternal consequences because that small white lie is a violation of God himself. And when you violate God, you violate he who is eternal. And so that smallest of sin is of the most eternal consequences. And only one who is eternal can bear an eternal weight of sin, but it's in me, a man in my flesh, that's, that sin resides. And so I need a flesh representative, man himself, to get up on that cross who is at once a representative of me and yet capable of bearing up under the eternal weight of damnation. And so Jesus, the God-man, presents himself as the one who is loving to step into the place on your behalf, my behalf, and bear up under the weight of just wrath. We aren't right in ourselves. We have no self-righteousness to bring before God. And while we would seek to fashion an image that looks well, a social saint to present well at church before God, it's nothing. That person does not exist. God only knows you as the person you actually are. And the person you actually are and the person I actually am 
is a sinful person. You can posture and present all you like, but God knows the real you. And that real you is the you that God loves. That real you is the you that Jesus Christ died for. So whether you've confronted that reality in your life or not, I don't know. But I'd like to invite all of us to the cross tonight. If you've never confronted the reality that you are a sinful person in need of the loving death of Jesus Christ, I invite you tonight to come to the cross and to contemplate his justice and wrath and to receive his love. If you've already come to terms with the fact that you are a sinful person and that you're broken, I invite you again to come to the cross. Contemplate the justice and wrath of God and again receive God's love. We can bring nothing to the cross but our sin. No beautiful worship. No self-presentation of goodness. Jesus wants to receive sin at the cross. So I invite you tonight, come to the cross, bringing your sin. Leave it with Jesus Christ and receive his love and righteousness. Come to the cross, the place where love and justice flow mingled down.